Amen. Hopefully this uh, sermon will go better than the kids' version. I don't know, though. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, if you haven't been with us, uh, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've been talking about how in 1 Corinthians, the, the main focus of this book is Paul talking to these new believers. And he's telling them that now that they're Christians, now that they're believers who have Jesus Christ in their life, that there is a new way that they have to look at the entire world. And so we've been focused on how as Christians our goal is not to have these different segments of our lives where different rules and behaviors apply. There is no me at work, there's no, you know, there's no work me, there's no home me, there's no with my friends me, there's one me. And when I become a Christian and when I have Jesus in my heart, then it is my responsibility to look through all things in my life through the lens of the gospel and make all of those submissive to the wisdom and to the guidance and to the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, a lot of people who are not believers actually have a huge bone to pick with Christians comes to this topic of hypocrisy. And it's kind of funny when non-believers talk about believers being hypocrites because if we're just all honest, each and every one of us is hypocrites. Like, how many of you know the double cheeseburger at Whataburger is not good for you. <laughs> Yet, how many of you go get them? <laughs> like, me being out of shape has nothing to do with my lack of knowledge about how to be in shape. I have plenty of knowledge about how to eat, how to exercise, how to sleep. The knowledge is not the problem. The problem is the implementation of such knowledge into actual behavior. And the reality about each and every human being I've ever met is all of us normally have a set of ideals that we want to try to aim for. And whether they're religious or not, none of us ever 100% get there. But we don't normally hold that against everybody. We don't normally go, well, forget you for having those values that you don't live up to every day. No, we normally applaud you for trying. The problem, though, for Christians, I think, when we talk about hypocrisy, is not so much the values that we live up to, but the reality that they realize when they look at us. You only pretend to be that way in certain places. This isn't about you striving all day, every day, towards a goal that is just slightly out of reach for you. This is about you acting fake a certain way here, and then you live a completely and utterly different way everywhere else. You're not failing because you're not trying. You're, not fail you're failing because you're trying to fail. Because in certain environments, you don't even consider it failure to do those things. And so throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's been writing to the church and talking to them, that can't be us. If we become Christians, if the Holy Spirit is in us, if we are disciples to Christ, then the totality of our life, all things, are submissive to Him. And in all areas of our life, we will pursue Him to the best of our ability. Will we be perfect? No, we'll never be perfect. But with good conscience, we and others can look at our lives and go, those people, they're chasing after Him. They're chasing after Him. And that needs to be the desire of our hearts. And so as we've been going through this book, there's been three things that we keep hitting each week that we kind of call the keys to the series. The first is, Paul really hits home that the church is united in the Word. 
You and I have to be brought together, not because we look the same, not because we come from the same backgrounds, not because we have the same kind of jobs, not for any other reason then. We are united in the word that Jesus Christ has given us, and we are united in the relationship that we have with him. Amen. It is the word that brings us together. Amen. And there's a beautiful quote that A.W. Tozer has. He's one of my favorite pastors. He says, A hundred pianos in tune do that by being tuned to one tuner, not by 100 pianos being tuned to each other. And his point is, you and I are not going to be in unity by us going, okay, how do I be more like Maria? Okay, now me and Maria, how do we be more like Pablo? Okay, me and Maria and Pablo, now we're going to try to be more like James. That doesn't work. Instead, what happens is everybody in this room goes, I am going to be more like Christ. Every single one of us goes, wherever our starting point is, we are going to chase after him. Amen. And what we find is along that journey, while all of us are running towards him, we start to get closer to each other. And we start to realize that all of us, from wherever we've been, have been pulled up to him. And so the church centers itself in that. We are united in the word of God. The second thing that we're aware of is that we're at war with the culture that's around us. There is no such thing as a worldly Christian. There is no such thing as a cool Christian. That's an important thing for us to understand. And let me just be clear to you guys. I work with enough people that are not believers. Even those of us who think we're cool Christians, we're not. We may think we're cool for ourselves, but we're not cool in the culture of the world. It just doesn't work. It just does not work. The culture of the world is chasing after different things. It wants power, and it wants money, and it wants materialism, and it wants sex, and it wants all these things that the world says will fulfill you. God doesn't care about those things. God wants to give you peace, and he wants to give you joy, and he wants to give you happiness, and he wants to bring your family together, and he actually wants to teach you that all those things just leave you empty. They just leave you empty. They fill you up temporarily, but then soon you wake up and realize, I'm just as hungry, if not more, than I've ever been before. Christ is trying to fill us with the right things, and so as Christians, we cannot put one foot into the culture and one foot into the church and try to straddle that line and say, I'm going to live in both these worlds. You will fail at both. And so he's hit that home for us. And then the third thing he's talked about is that the church, you and I, because remember, the church isn't this building. Right? When I say we're in the most beautiful place in the world, it's not because of the wood paneling around us. It's not because of the structural beauty around us. It's because of the people. Amen. It's because of the hearts and the spirits that are here together who have submitted themselves to Jesus Christ, who have all come to glorify and worship Him. That's what makes this a beautiful place. And you could burn this building to the ground and the church would still stand. As long as you and I are breathing, the church exists. And what he says to us is if we're that church, then we should always be progressing. Always. Now I love this because I have a little girl, she's 14 months, and so she is on that journey to try to walk. And I know some of you are going, 14 months, that's slow. I know, what can I say? All right? It's okay, though, because it's our last one, so I want her to take as slow of a time as she wants to. Right? 
But the beauty of watching these little children progress is, is it's just day by day, little things happen. And what I really enjoyed about the third one is it's given me perspective on the other two. Because as I'm watching her crawl and take a few steps and grow, I sit there and I go, this big stinky one over here used to be doing that too. When did he become six? When did that happen? And it's not like you just put them to bed one night and then they wake up and they're giant. It's just every day. Every day they grow a little. Every day they grow just an inch. Every day they, you almost don't even see it. But then you wake up and you look at them and you go, you're completely different. How? Well, brothers and sisters, that's the same thing that should be happening to us. Is that every day in this journey towards Christ, we may not be the fastest runners. We may not be the best athletes. But there's no denying where we're going. And every day we get a little bit closer. And every now and then we're going to have these moments where we're going to have a, an event in our life occur and we're going to look at ourselves and go, man, I am not who I used to be. I have more faith. I have more strength. I have more power. I have more love than what I used to have because I've been chasing after Him. Amen. And that's what the church is supposed to do. United in the world, pushing away the culture of the world, and constantly growing and building. Now today I want you to open your Bibles with me and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're specifically going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 starting in verse 17. In verse 17, Paul starts talking to the Corinthian church about how they're worshiping together as a group. And what we see in the book of Corinth, or Corinthians is the church in Corinth, they're not really a great example. They're really kind of the example of not what to do. Right? If you want to see what the wrong way looks like, it's these guys. And what's happening is, is they're actually doing the right rituals, but they're doing them with the wrong hearts and with wrong intentions, and basically God's saying, I don't want those. And I think this is such a huge thing for us because, brothers and sisters, every Sunday across this country, churches are full of people who don't actually want to be there. They're full of people who are just, man, how much longer does my pastor got? Full of people just wondering, am I going to miss the game? Are we going to beat the people to Denny's? Are you, right? You're thinking about everything else in the world and you really don't want to be there. But you do it because you think there's some kind of weird game well, like God gave you points because you showed up even though you didn't want to. It's not how it works. What this is really like is like, have you ever worked out but not actually tried hard? And then you do that every day and realize, why am I not losing weight? Well, because you can walk on a treadmill for 30 minutes every day, but if you don't do it to a point where you're breathing hard and your heart rate increases, and after and before you throw down sugar like it's going out of style, then the 30 minutes walking doesn't mean anything. Amen. And some of us, that's how we treat church. Monday through Saturday, sin, 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 church time. For the next hour and a half, while Luke's preaching, an hour and 45 minutes, I will say the right Bible theorems. I'll throw out a few amens. I might even throw a hand up here to let people know I'm really into it. I'll tell everybody what a great fellowship. Use words I never use anywhere else. Then I'll get in my car and sin, 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 sin. I even love living in San Antonio because we have a whole structural institution for this. 
Right? So Lent occurs, Easter occurs, and then what happens in San Antonio? Fiesta. We just spent 40 days trying to be holy, and now we need to party. Is that how it works? I had 40 days with no meat. Now I'm going to eat more than I've ever eaten and drink more than I can handle. But it's okay because it all balances. It's not how it works. <laughs> Nowhere in Scripture do you see that. And so Paul's writing to these people and he's like, Corinthians, wake up. You going through the motions with hearts that aren't in the right place gains you nothing. In fact, in many ways, it's more of an insult. It's more of an insult because you know what you should be doing and you just kind of go through the motions. And so let's look at what he says here. He says, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one who is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which you can eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. Here's what he's saying to them. They're coming together and they're gathering like they're supposed to, right? They're coming to church because they know they should be at church. And at church they're doing the Lord's Supper because they know they should be doing the Lord's Supper. But when they're coming, here's what's happening. The rich people are bringing all kinds of food for themselves, are gorging on it, filling up. Some are even getting drunk at church. Meanwhile, the poor members of the church are starving to death. Right across the room. And then they go, we did the Lord's Supper. God, God's pleased with us, right? Paul goes, you want me to praise you for that? You want me to praise you because you come together in Jesus' name and then act like this? What kind of fools do you think he is? So then he reminds them. Look what he says in 23. He reminds them. This is what the Lord's Supper is about. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until I come. And so what he reminds them is, remember what the Lord's Supper is for. When we do the Lord's Supper, it's not to fill our bellies and it's not to quench our thirst. Which is kind of obvious when we give you those little pieces of bread in a little tiny cup, right? Obviously, that's not there to fill you. It's there to remind your spirit that what you've come together in is to be united in the fact that each and every one of you is proclaiming that Jesus is your Savior. Amen. Each and every one of you is proclaiming that I acknowledge Jesus had a broken body. 
that He went through pain and suffering and death for my sins. And not only was His body broken, but when His blood was spilt, it was that sacrifice that sacrifice of the pure and holy and almighty God for me that washed me clean of my sins and covered me in His righteousness. So that I no longer stand here guilty. I now stand here with the righteousness of the almighty God because of Jesus. Amen. And when we take that supper, that's what we're saying. We're saying from all the different places we've come, we are joined together to proclaim the awesomeness of Jesus. Amen. It's not about the food. And so Paul is reminding them, remember why you're here. Remember that. Look what he says in 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we judge, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brother, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. And so here's what he says. He says, look, if you're coming to the Lord's Supper to fill up, take care of that at house. Do that at your own place. Do that at a place where the focus of the meal is to eat. But when you come to the Supper, the Lord's Supper, remember this is about proclaiming who He is. Amen. And so brothers and sisters, there's two big things to take away. The first is this. Pure worship comes from a pure heart. Amen. And I encourage you, this is a battle every single Sunday. In fact, this is the battle every single day. Have any of you ever sat down and said, I'm going to really focus for the next 10 minutes and pray to the Lord? And then either fallen asleep or veered off some weird thought trail in your head to start thinking about things you don't even know how you got there. Anybody ever done that? I do it every day. I'll start praying, and all of a sudden I see myself wandering. I'm like, how did I get here? Get back on track. The point was to be talking to God right now, not to be thinking about this. And when we come to church on Sundays, I'd encourage you, build your day around it. Here's what I mean by that. Get up early enough that as you're driving to church, what you're not thinking about or not stressing about is do the kids eat? Is everybody dressed? Do I have the right clothes on? Do I look okay? But how many of you on Sunday mornings are stressed getting to church? Because it's a race to get here. Right? How many of you at church often are pulled away to thinking about other things? Thinking about the stresses that you have. Thinking about work tomorrow. I can tell you this, depending on how bad the jobs I've had are, typically they don't just ruin my Monday through Friday, they typically start creeping into Sunday. And really bad jobs, Sunday morning hits and you're already starting to think about how bad Monday is going to be. You've got to come here and you've got to push those things away. Actively. You've got to tell them, get out. Here 
I'm not about the pains. Here, I'm not about the hurts. Here, I'm not about all those things that are trying to pull me away. Here, I am centered and focused on Him. Amen. And I'm not going to let anything pull me away. Amen. And when it does, I beat it back and I come right back to where I'm supposed to be. Pure worship comes from pure hearts. And so brothers and sisters, where this gets bigger for us, this is not just the Lord's Supper, it's everything. No offense to anyone, but I'm betting some of you heard songs today that you were like, I would never listen to that by myself. That's fine. Maria and I are not picking songs based on our own personal favorites. They would sound different. We're picking songs based on what we think will get people to a place of worship. We're picking songs based on the words and the truth that they have in them that align to the message that God has. And so guess what? I know some of you only listen to hymns when you're here. And even if that's not your style, God doesn't care. He cares about in that moment when you sing those words, are you thinking about Him? Amen. Are you thinking about how it's talking about the glorious and the almighty Savior of the universe? Are you thinking about what He has done in your life and how He has freed you? Amen. And vice versa, there's some of you, whenever we put something that's not written from the 1800s, you're like, what's this newfangled music? <laughs> when do we start letting rock and roll come into the church? Same thing. As long as the words are in truth, as long as they are focused on who our God is, then sing with a pure heart. It's the same thing with the loudness of your voice. Juan, if you sit anywhere near me, anywhere in that back section, you'll hear me. You'll hear a really loud, bad voice. That's me. Because I ain't singing for you. For me, I've always wanted him to know I am singing with everything I got. What's beautiful about it is not the sound of it. It's the fact that I am trying to let him know I love you. And I am humble enough in my love for you that I will sing like a fool in front of all these people. Think about what you're here to do. It's not about the music. It's not about the instruments. It's not about the room. It's about you and Him. And it's about you letting Him know that you are His and that you love Him and that you submit to Him. Second thing, worship is not just rituals. Brothers and sisters, there's absolutely rituals that God gives us. Right, right here in Corinthians, he's talking about the Lord's Supper. God is asking us to do that ritual to remember the sacrifice that he made. But if you do that ritual without the right heart, it's worth nothing. Amen. And to be honest, this has been the truth from the beginning of time. If you have your Bibles, you can flip with me to Amos chapter 5. If not, I'll read it here for you. But I love Amos chapter 5 because in Amos chapter 5, what you have is Amos is a prophet. And he has been called by God to stand in front of Israel and to tell them about the sins of all the nations around them and how God is going to punish them. And then to tell them about their own sins and how God is going to punish those. And it's actually kind of a humorous book, if you understand the context, because Amos gets the whole nation together and he starts preaching. And he starts preaching about how God's going to get this country, and he's going to get that country, and he's going to get this country, and he's going to get that country. And the Israelites hate all those countries. So every time he talks about the bad things that are going to happen to them, the people are excited. 
Right? Our God is going to strike down our enemies. Our God is going to bring us victory. Our God is going to bring them down. They're very up, upbeat about this news. But then, in the midst of this excitement, Amos goes, and then the worst of all is you guys. And you can just sense the whole mood changing. And here's why the worst is for them. All the other nations sin in ignorance. But not God's people. And so in Amos chapter 5, verse 18, listen to what he says. He says, Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light, as when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or goes home and he leans his hand against the wall and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you present me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? Here's what he says to him. He says, every Saturday, this is Old Testament, every Saturday you guys get together. And you do the right sacrifices and you sing the right songs and you perform the right rituals. But in your own country, you have put your own people to slavery. You have oppressed you have beaten and you have stolen from your brothers. And then you come to me and you worship and you think I don't know. He says, all those festivals, all those offerings, I don't want them. In fact, if you really translate the Hebrew here, a lot of these words are almost obscene. He says that their burnt offerings are a stench to him. Like waste. Why? Because you know what I want. And instead you've given me the opposite. So brothers and sisters, the most beautiful thing to me about passages like this is they're completely and utterly within our own control. Like there's some things when you read them in the Bible you realize you're so far away from them. Right? Like where some of us, when we read about patience, we're like, I can try to get there and I will take my baby steps, but it's going to be a journey. The beauty of pure worship is that's you. And you can control it right now. When we pray to Him today, will you actually pray to Him? When you sing to Him, will you not think about anything else except for the fact that you have a God who loves you so much? That he sacrificed his only son to die for you. And that son, when he died for you, he washed out the immeasurable debt that you carried. And then made you royalty. How awesome is that? I don't care what you have in your life right now. I don't care if you're broke. I don't care if you're sick. I don't care if you have bad relationships. I don't care if you have warrants out for your arrest. I don't care about any of that stuff. 
If you know that you have a Savior that died for you, to offer you forgiveness of everything you've ever done, and then on top of that, every day He pours down love upon you. Amen. Just boundless, unlimited love upon you. And in the end, He is going to lift you up and treat you like royalty. Please tell me what can make that a bad day. Please tell me what in comparison to that truth can make you have a bad day. We are so blessed each and every day. And if God would never give us another thing in this world except what He's already done through Jesus, we have more than enough to praise Him from here till eternity. So do that. Offer Him the best thing you can, which is just your heart. Amen. Purely worshiping Him. Brothers and sisters, before I close this in prayer, I want to give us just one thing this week that exhibits how awesome our God is. On Friday, Brother John, um, if, if you're not familiar, haven't been here as long, John normally sits right up here, got the big beard, kind of looks like Santa Claus, has the air tank with him, uh, which so kindly James calls him tank for. John uh, went into the hospital. And to be honest with you, after the first looks, we didn't think he was coming out. In fact, many of us were already preparing for all those things that happen after you lose someone you love. And he's not out of the woods yet, but he woke up Saturday morning and the entire narrative changed. The entire story changed. The entire hopes and thoughts and treatments and the way the doctors were looking at things changed. Our God can come into places where it seems like darkness has won. And He can shine His light and bring hope and love to us. And so I want to encourage you, keep praying for Him, because again, He's not out of the woods yet. But it just reminds us each and every day that we have a God who's driving. A God who's in control. And He will do what is right in His will. I'm going to ask Brother Joe to come up with me. We're going to be up here to pray with you guys if there's anything on your hearts. Uh, Sister Maria is going to come up and sing with us. If you want mine, let's just go ahead and close our eyes and bow our heads. And where you're at, just silently pray to the Lord.
Before me, the world behind. 
cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. God is so good, God is so good, God is so so good to me. I love him so. I love him so. I love him so. I love him so. He's so prayer. He answers prayer. He answers prayer. He answers prayer. He is so good to Everybody <laughs> <laughs>
I can depend on to the faith that's in my bones. 